Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Endurance Asia podcast and this week we've got Moira Nikaulive who is a physio here in Singapore uh, at UFIT and uh, really great chat not just talking about um, her career as a physio and advice for people to both prevent injuries and then um, to to cure injuries Um, everything from rolling to um to dry needling um and then focusing on whether it be muscles or or joint pain Uh, but we also talk about her experience as a as a runner she's um one of the top runners in uh, in singapore she's um podiumed the cambodia half marathon for the last five years running and uh and as like a uh, impressive 5k time as well um so yeah really enjoyed this chat i've um i've known uh, moira for uh, for a while and uh it was really good to get her on the podcast and share all, all her amazing knowledge and experience as both a runner and a physio treating runners day in day out uh, so with that here's moira that the truthful story if they ever ask stop the complaining because things ain't that bad hey moira welcome to the endurance asia podcast Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's nice actually to be seeing people in person and without a mask on. And, and like, just chatting normally, yeah. yeah. And also not about COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good to have you on the, on the podcast. You've been um, uh, my physio uh, for, <laughs> for a while, but you've also, yeah, you've, um, you work for UFIT here in Singapore. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it would be good to sort of understand, like, first and foremost, you're, you're the first physio that we've had on the, on the podcast. Cool, very but, exciting. Um, yeah, but you also come from an insurance background, which is cool. Yeah. So um, I'm interested first, like how you how you got into becoming a physio. When yeah, did yeah. like uh, when did um, so up? I started running when I was about like late, kind of into the um, the running scene. So I started when I was about 16, um, and then kind of went in quite aggressively and got injured, which is probably about how most people get into physio. And I injured my hip, and I basically just kept running. I was on a warm weather training camp, but kept running through it. Then eventually came back um, and saw a physio, but no one ever explained to me what what I did or how I got injured or they gave me like I remember three exercises and was kind of like yeah there you go see how you go and that's kind of then I just I didn't know I was like well you just wait and see what happens so that kind of led me to think well like what if I really get hurt and uh, how do I fix myself so then when I started continuing running and running more like obviously then in university running we got a physio that like was our team physio so then I was really interested in what they were doing and then that's when I kind of decided oh look I think I would like to know more for myself and then that kind of facilitated my passion so I just started um, and that's how I applied for physio then yeah what sort of running did you start doing initially was it track Um, and no so we started started with cross country um, and we just I remember my first race we went out and the coach goes don't go out all out and I remember going whatever this was one mile you did one loop of one mile and I went out like a harpy <laughs> I went out absolutely killed it and uh, pulled off to the side about 400 meters in and puked my ring up and then <laughs> I was like okay maybe I should listen to this guy so yeah that was then the first time it was all cross country we did first and then I hated tr- track 
So I kind of come from, I reckon, a family of uh, slow twitch. Like, we're all endurance. My brothers are cyclists or cross-country runners, predominantly mountain runners, actually. And so from that, I then I kind of had a hit, like a feeling I was probably more the slower side and longer side as opposed to the fast side. Yeah, so I hate a track. You can, I'm, I'm sure everyone can tell your Irish accent, but you grew <laughs> up in Ireland, whereabouts? Yeah. So I grew up in Dublin, so I'm from the north side of Dublin. Okay, yeah. okay. And so you're, you talk about your, your family, you've got, you're one of like 15 <laughs> kids, but your, your brother's actually you sort of was a professional cyclist as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, my second eldest brother, Richie McCauley, would have been a very kind of famous in Ireland uh, for, he started on road biking, he road biked all his um, like childhood and into uh, adolescence and adult and then he transitioned into mountain biking so he was quite successful he, he uh, competed in the Tour de France when it came to Ireland um, he did the Ross which is a big race in Ireland and he's quite successful in that and then he transitioned he never made it into the Olympics but his wife did so his wife is also a cyclist and she um, competed for Ireland in the Athens Olympics and we went out to see her it was quite cool um, and she did the mountain biking yeah for Ireland yeah that's yeah. amazing so um from that uh, from good start and you've been running a pretty high standard as well so you say you you ran at university yeah like yeah. What, um yeah what sort of standard yeah. do you get up to with your sort of endurance career yeah so um I probably would have started with cross country in school and then transitioned into obviously track I did 3k steeple I did 10k and I did 5k on the track I did then dabble in a bit of 15s and 8s but I absolutely hated them <laughs> um so I was more successful actually at 3k steeple I got the it was very new in Ireland and obviously in the females it's very it's a new newer sport so I got the Irish track record for that but it was changing like so I got it for I held it I think only for three months and then the next one was um beaten so actually my cousin Fanula uh, Britton she is now the um, she's like a second cousin. She's a bit older than me, but she's the now national record holder of that. Of the uh, steeplechase? Yeah, three K oh, steeplechase. Oh, in the family. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> she's different second name. So she's my, my dad and her mum are like first cousins. Yeah. So we would call ourselves cousins, but we're probably second cousin twice removed or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah we're get, like we went to university together. So I would know her quite well. Yeah, yeah. That, that's very cool. Uh, I, I remember when I first um, first saw you or met you, it was actually, there was the King of the Trails series. And I think yeah. it was that on Pula Ubin. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, uh, I there was a race on there. I think it was yeah. only 10K or so. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, you absolutely smashed it then. Uh-huh. Although I think you came second female, didn't you? Because I think Vanya, was it? For yes, I, Vanya won. Vanya, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, she's brilliant. She's incredible. Yeah, she's an yeah, incredible yeah. runner. Yeah. Brilliant distance runner. Um, but, but you, so you've been at, how long have you been out in Singapore now? Seven years. Uh, okay. Yeah quite a while already yeah yeah and you've um you've sort of continued your like running career out here in in Singapore right yeah and I think that's probably kind of where I transitioned into more longer distance so even though we're considered like endurance long distance um at university I probably was never I never did a 21k prior to coming to Singapore I had done one marathon but it was like just a goal during my master's um so actually more running 10k road races regularly and 21ks actually only happened in the last seven years right so yeah yeah and um and yeah you I, I seem to remember that you've uh, you've done the um cambodia cm reap yeah yeah, yeah you've, you've i've done it five times <laughs> have you really i'll say yeah an amazing race isn't it yeah Around the temples there. i i loved it i did it the first year i did the standard chartered here twice and after that i was like i can't do this again the 21k initially it was the course where it went through sentosa yeah so you went under the car park for a kilometer and i was like this is a terrible route 
so the I, I said then after that I was going to do Cambodia and then I basically have done it five years since so I've won it twice come second twice and came third once Oh, so wow, so that, you've always been on the podium. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. So what's, it, what's your PB on it? Uh, last year, 124. But it was lovely. The temperature was like 17 degrees. We got very, very lucky. So it definitely, it was like a very, the guy who won it was a Japanese guy and he won it in 69 minutes. So it was a really fast course last year. Yeah. Yeah. Was, um, so the, uh, yeah, Singapore is just not the greatest place to run marathons or that kind of distance. For the kind of humidity and the, the distance for endurance stuff, if you want to do it fast, like your times aren't going to be great. Yeah. What was it, what's been your PB when you've run a half marathon in Singapore? Um, so prior to that was one to her, uh, 128. 128. Yeah, so okay. four minutes. Yeah, Quite a lot, yeah, yeah. like when you drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of seem to think that you, that you drop the temperature from the 32 degrees, 90% humidity, and you kind of... It can take 10% or so off your time. Yeah, really. yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's a great place to train, though. Yeah, it? and they reckon, like, there's a bit of correlation between training at altitude with training at humidity. Yeah. So it's not, at, like, a direct correlation, but there is some gains you get from training at humidity when you go race at a lower humidity um, uh, country. Yeah, so yeah. not as good as altitude, but similar. Yeah, and have you raced anywhere else across the, uh, across the region? Um, I've done... Uh, Cambodia I've done uh, Laguna I did the one in Thailand the 21k yeah, there yeah. came second there but um, <laughs> I didn't realize it was such a hilly course so I did 126 in that um, but had I had not researched the course and thought it was I was actually told it was quite flat and it's the complete opposite it's just hill after hill after hill yeah but it was a really nice course actually it was quite the same place they have the triathlon yeah, as well correct. down there isn't it and yeah, it yeah. is a lumpy along that yeah, west coast yeah yeah exactly yeah, so yeah. that was fun though it's nice to do somewhere different but that's the only between Cambodia and um, uh, Thailand that's it yeah yeah, yeah I've, I've said to you before but we've got like I think you if the longer distance of yeah. trail running like I, have you ever done marathon distance or yes just, I've have? done one one um, in Edinburgh but that was just during my masters kind of as a goal because we had like when I was studying I didn't have um, the masters we weren't competitive you yeah. know so I wasn't running competitively there so I just did I did a half and then I did the uh, Edinburgh Marathon and I did that in 321 but yeah. that was my first ever um and actually the fr- like I I swear it must probably is on record the hottest day in Edinburgh it was 26 degrees <laughs> people were dropping everywhere like in Edinburgh that's unheard of <laughs> so it was funny the heat chases me around yeah is there <laughs> anything that like puts you off doing the longer distance for um for uh, running? No, not for trail running. I actually would like to do more longer distance in the trails because I actually think it's undulating. It's quite good for you. I think on the road, it's quite mundane and it's tough on females. Like the longer stuff, you know, um, we're good for endurance, but I think the repetitive motion of on the roads is much tougher on our bodies than if we were doing longer distance on trails. I think it suits us better. And and I'm interested, like from the physio perspective, what because um, I always I hate running roads, and most sort of like people that are more um, off road or on, on trail, uh, they you end up having to run roads just as for training, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the repetitive motion of of running on road and at the same pace and everything. Um, what is the sort of impact from that from a like physiological so, perspective in terms of injuries it's much more so we say running right is repetitive in nature and that's how you the type of injuries you get in running are repetitive strain injuries um, and that is true 
but it's far more true of the roads because the impact you are doing the same foot strike repetitively over and over again so if you're a heel striker and maybe it's not heel striking is bad it's just repetitively on your heel is so bad uh, same with if you're a four foot runner same with if you're a narrow gate runner it's just that you're repeating the same foot strike over and over again um, also it's not responsive so um, tarmac and, and um, cement they don't give you um, they don't absorb the shock and they don't give you rebound whereas trails does like soft trails um, even if it's just clay it's at least it's absorbing some some of your shock maybe not as responsive then you're like okay you're not going to do your speed work on it because it's not going to give you bounce back but it's going to absorb the shock much easier whereas on the roads it's all your tendons and your bones that take the shock so that's the difference you probably tend to get injured sooner than you would on a trail so if you're running trails majority of your long runs you probably get the whole year before an injury whereas on the uh, road you're probably going to come in six months with that same injury yeah what do you see as the the most common injury for uh, for road runners um i i definitely would see some achilles a lot of achilles um knee and hip they're probably the biggest though so we'll see like runner's knee so just patella like kneecap pain or else uh, patella tendon so your kneecap tendon um with and you also see like shin splints so kind of lower stuff it's all with poor shock absorption stuff so you'll e- either see tendinopathies around the ankles achilles um or a tib post around the outside of their achilles or shin splints and yeah. again just absorbing shock not well or just repeating the shock over and over again in the in the joints Shin splints seemed, I've like had it once before and it was when I like let myself go a bit and just, I think it was one of those classic sort of um, New Year's Eve, like, right, that's it. And just went straight into running like 10K every day yeah. and then just overweight. And it's those people that sort of, that don't progress into um, into distance. They just go like, yeah, just exactly. all out to begin with. And So, just- and we see that again a lot with runners, like too much too soon simply just doing too much of the same repetitive motion over and over again even if having one day off midweek or end of your week friday uh, allowing that time to repair regenerate then we definitely see those people can can continue to progress they just don't have to take some like two weeks off because they've been hit with an injury yeah Yeah. and i mean we've just coming i say we're coming we're coming out the circuit breaker period in singapore you'll have had um, and you were obviously closed during that circuit breaker yeah, period, correct. right? And yeah. so, um, uh, and people were still able to go outside and run. But yeah. I, I mean, from the people that I know, they just weren't running the same kind of volumes that they were before. Yeah. Um, what have you seen since you've opened up the um, the studio again and then started? Yeah. Getting, so um, I was saying I, when we were off um, off um, the mic there, I I definitely think it'd be interesting to do some research in globally what's happened once people have come out of circuit breaker or these lockdown periods because we've probably had the biggest month in our clinic in july since the those have come out um like think about it april and may here uh people had to exercise by themselves or they were allowed out for one one hour a day or one period a day to do exercise so most people to get the most bang out of their book was they were running right a lot of those people then for the rest of the day for 11 other hours were sedentary Okay, so even just that normal walking, the 20,000 steps or on the best case, maybe 10,000 steps that they're normally doing, you remove that and then even just go and doing a, a 6K run without the steps, 
they're higher risk of injury their tendons are not now taking normal elastic load that they would have from just walking and then they go out and jump on them aggressively for 6k so then they're going to end up with niggles so what we saw was kind of a trickle in probably june we saw a little bit of niggles in people just oh they're uh, you know feeling little bits of aches and pains but but by july people were really uh, coming in when it was already really three months blown up at this stage yeah and yeah. what was it the similar injuries you were talking about before like patellas yeah um, a lot of knees I'd say um, and I think that's also to do with home workouts people doing a lot of jumping stuff that they're not used to and they forget that actually jumping is quite hard um, and jumping that we do in running we might bend our knee 10 degrees but then in jumping in home workouts they're doing jump squats really for power they're jumping and twisting they're doing these shoot throughs these home workouts and a high intensity for like you know short periods that really wreaks havoc on your tendons running would nearly be better than that um, because it's little loads but repetitively so yeah definitely I think we saw a lot of like IT bands um, patella tendons some hips but I think the hips are when they've gotten really bad by the time it's their hips yeah yeah yeah. and for those people I mean and and I suppose anyone I mean the big part of um avoiding injury is like is is being able to like prepare your body to be able to like yeah you're better off rather than fixing something sort of Prevent. preventing it 100 percent. Yeah. yeah so a lot of, with a lot of those people what we would, will do initially of course is treat the injury or give them advice on the injury itself but then what we're trying to do with physio is educate right and first and foremost give them advice advice on how to manage the situation themselves currently but also going forward like okay right now if you were to come into this situation again what would i do and um, we teach a lot of activation or i teach a lot of activation stuff prior to running so a lot of people okay they're they've sat for ages or they sat at an office and they just want to go and i'm like if you take five minutes or even like three minutes to do maybe three or four little things to wake up your hips the things that you've been sitting on the whole day that are asleep activate them stick on a band do some sidestepping um do some activation drills to get your nerve vascular system so your nerves all fired up for running do literally it would take you five minutes your running would be better your power output would be better and your recovery afterwards would be better so um a lot of what we do in physio is teach that and try and get them on board to to take some power themselves they don't need me to fix them they need themselves to learn how to stop getting broken again yeah Yeah. and for that routine, I mean, you mentioned you can do like three exercises to be able to activate the um, activate the, uh, the the muscles, the soft yeah. tissue, or the tendons, or uh, mostly soft tissue. So you want to activate the muscles. You can do some little plyometric drills that would wake up the tendons, but usually, like they'll get a little bit of that when they're due to some running drills. So I usually would say wake up your muscles first, and then do some running drills, just high knees, bum kicks, karaoke's, even hip swings. That um, encourages your nervous system to be alive and awake, which is the muscles or is the system that fires your muscle system so i would say do three muscle exercises then do three maybe two or three uh, little drills that fire up your nervous system then go yeah yeah because yeah. there's there's been a lot of debate in the past around stretching prior to exercise as opposed to post yeah. running yeah yeah um and the the i mean the research that i've sort of read is it's sort of like about an act 
active stretch rather than rather than static stretch yeah right? and that, that's that's kind of exactly what we're talking about with the drills the drills are maybe a ho- opening up your hip giving you hip range of motion so in effect they're an active stretch but you're not statically holding them so what you're referring to there was research that was um, proven to reduce power and performance when a muscle had been held on tension so that's our old school statically stretch before you actually then make the elastic recoil of the muscle weak so you're higher risk of of tearing or reduced performance so we do say don't statically stretch think of activation or think of um, actively moving your joints opening them up ready to to be able to stretch but don't hold them in a stretch position and and therefore you're better better performance or better output without reducing the firing pattern of the muscle yeah we we had um one of the top coaches in asia pacific a guy called andy dubois on on the podcast and he um he coaches a lot of the the top ultra athletes across the region and i asked him about stretching he's like no don't need to do it and um and yeah i was just uh, it's an interesting take i mean uh, he obviously coaches some like you know professional ultra runners effectively and they and can encourage them not to stretch and they're running sort of you know up to 200k weeks and actually not getting injured really yeah. so it's I, it's interesting i mean what's your sort of take on stretching I obviously def- activation is slightly different but yeah i think definitely um um active movements and active drills before exercise i think there's still a place for some stretching afterwards if someone is especially recovering from something so if somebody has had a torn calf or a torn um hamstring you've got to remember that there is scar tissue laying down to heal that tear tear so that tear then becomes tight okay and that's the normal body's response to protect it but over time if you continue to load that and that's normal you will stretch that scar and it will lay down a new bit of scar tissue again that's normal and we want that but if that process repeats and repeats and repeats with running which is loading you then get shortening of the muscle so yeah. then you get muscular impact or imbalances or a mechanical error in your movement and that's what you want to avoid so yeah. there might be benefit for stretching at that point because then you're going to correct the imbalances and make sure that you're keeping the mechanics correct so it mightn't be if you don't have any injuries that's absolutely fine and you don't tend to get tight and you stay quite active after you've exercised you don't go sit in a chair for five hours straight after then there probably is no point for you or need for you to stretch but if you're coming out of something you know you've had a recurring hamstring pull or a little niggle it probably is beneficial for you to get just maybe one or two guided stretches so your physio has gone yeah you tore the inside hamstring this is the best inside hamstring stretch do it after you run every time to prevent it from getting shorter and shorter and shorter and those kind of people would benefit from a stretch got you that makes makes complete sense i mean um yeah if you've got yeah, if you've actually pulled a muscle or if you've got scar tissue and it builds it up and the shortening of the muscle could then affect your your gait and your stride and yeah um, and, and how then, much that it, muscle can contract and give you power yeah. so then you overload something else and then before you know it oh now i've done something else oh, and yeah. they're definitely linked right so you want to keep everything as balanced or as symmetrical as you can for as long as you can yeah what is your recommendation for whether it be any endurance sports whether it be cycling or running um, or even swimming for that matter if you're uh, like as a post recovery or like post run or post exercise what is your in fact what's your personal routine after you go out for a training run so when I come back I tend to I'll do 
I'm actually not great at stretching either. But I, I like I am recovering from a medial hamstring, so that's why I use that example. But I tend to stretch it, okay, because I know it does tend to get tight on me, and when it gets tight, I, then my glute kind of gets a bit lazy. So I will stretch it, and I will stretch my calves uh, when I come in from a run immediately, like or like when I'm downstairs before I go up to the apartment, I'll just stretch off a step. So right after the run, I'll stretch, um, and then usually it's about refueling. So I usually get in, and that's kind of more where I prioritize my time. I going to try and get some protein in or some fuel within 30 minutes especially as a female we have a smaller window than you guys so we have to try and get it in within 30 minutes so that i will prioritize first and then i'm fine going having a shower and then coming back and then i don't mind rolling so that i i tend to love my roller i have a foam orb ball which i'd recommend any endurance athlete to get o or b you get them on amazon they're like a five inch um, foam ball they're much better because they're versatile you can use it everywhere i use it my hip flexor i use it my quad my tfl it's great for in the hamstring i find the rollers are not great for getting in around your hamstring it's also great for the calves so i'll use that and i'll just do maybe wherever um i'll do both sides but if i find that one spot spot is slightly tighter than the other i spend a little extra time on that particular spot um and max like 10 minutes you can even stick something on tv when you're when you're doing it like it's you don't have to be very like focused on um, actively doing it with your mind as well, right? So yeah. uh, I don't mind just lying on that and releasing. And because you've, I've had, um, I've had a few issues in the past, both like knee and uh, and actually you've um, you've been recommended like having a tennis ball size ball and yeah. then under the hamstring and then yeah, you stretch flossing. your and sitting down and then you stretch your sort of like you almost like a, um, a nerve glide, like a quad raiser. In, in yeah, yeah. Um, that's like a tennis ball size. What size is the foam orb? Is it so like- that's better for that. Yeah. So the orb is five inch, so it's probably about five inches. Yeah, it's quite. Um, it's a good bit bigger than the tennis ball, so yeah. it's better for actually that nerve glide exercise as well. Because the higher it is, the more pressure you can push down. So yeah. then you actually you don't just depress into the chair. So that's quite good for that exact um, exercise. Yeah. 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 No, I think um, there's the massaging machines like uh, the gun Theraguns. things the Theraguns yeah have you ever used those or you uh, I, I have used I've tried it just to see because I do have a lot of clients who, who bought them Um I think there probably is benefit for them there's not a lot of research because they're very new yeah Um and my only issue with them is people get addicted to them and they 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 release their tarragon everything and you got to remember it's vibrations and it is quite aggressive right it's working at a quite a high velocity um i've had people blow up in their achille uh, in their knee sorry around their bursas so anywhere there's a tendon in your body underneath your tendon is a little shock pad that absorbs um, shock and stops the the tendon from rubbing off the bone but also that that bursa swells and that's normal after exercise but when you feel that swelling you feel tightness but it's not actually that anything is tight and needing released. So what I'm finding is some patients are coming in, they felt that tightness and they got the gun and they've hammered it around their IT band or up on their hip bone or in their kneecap and the tendon and then they've just blown up. Yeah, It's swollen for a reason. It's just after exercise, it's after being irritated, but it will reduce. It, yeah. But you don't need to go in and then make it blow up even more. So I just find there's no guidance on where to use it. Got you. So people are coming in once they've done it to everywhere, especially tendons in their shoulders and stuff. And I'm kind of like, right, if it's a big bulky muscle, stick to that. If you're in your quad, you can't do any damage. You feel tight in the belly of your quad. Yeah, do that. But stay away from bony landmarks. 
Yeah, I always thought about it as like a soft tissue massage for yeah. massaging rather than actually on sort of like joints or tendons. Yeah. But you're right, if there's no clear guidance to people, then they can and just... And people are uh, left to their own devices. And unfortunately, we don't always... we don't always do what we think is best right if it's something feels tight yeah it might feel tight but it doesn't necessarily mean it's short so if you're lengthening something that's already long that's probably not a good idea yeah, yeah, yeah. um i think they are helpful i think they're helpful for areas that you can't get a roller into so like in like i was saying about the hamstring if you didn't have that or ball that's quite a good bulky muscle get in with the tarragon into there or in a groin where you can't really get in an angle on the roller yeah. then it's quite useful but again i just think stay away from any bones pelvis knees shoulder joints elbows hips just stay away from the joints themselves because yeah. they're, they're they're very delicate things right and they don't have a lot of tissue around them so you're going to irritate or you run the risk of irritating some some of the tender t- the tissues around there yeah i where i've heard of them being really beneficial is people that are doing big like either multi-day stage races or um or yeah like you know bit like and actually having uh, it's like, as a like massage in the middle of a race. Yeah, and yeah, and I can and see that for muscle fatigue. And yeah, and I definitely think well. that would help with clear lactic acid as well, right? So yeah. I think, um, and I think the recommendation on them is like twenty seconds per area. Right. So it's very minimal. So yeah. I think just um, you know smashing that out, doing it for a minute on it and each limb, right? I think you'd get great recovery out of it, but you're not running into the danger zone of actually on um, breaking down more tissue. Yeah. So it's the people that are spending five ten minutes at one area. I think you're doing more you're running the risk of doing more damage than um, you know not being able to recover from it so yeah. say in an endurance race you want to be just stimulating healing you don't want to be damaging anything you know yeah. or aiding recovery yeah of yeah. course um, another sort of bit of kit we're kind of getting into the kit side but there's a um, recovery system I'm not sure oh, if you heard yeah, of it it's then, like, like Normatech the, the big, big blow up things that um, I think they give to people that have like um, deep vein thrombosis and things like that yeah right? and or people a, stuck in bed like with pressure sores yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think there, there, there is a place for them I think if you're an elite athlete and you're doing a lot of mileage um, then yeah and you're doing some intense sessions within that I think it's going to aid just in flush literally return venous return it's flushing all the lactic acid out without you actually having to contract your muscles. There, there was a device similar to it called Game Ready that was popular in the US. Um, when I did my placement there, we used it on all the um, uh, American football guys. So it's a very similar system. And that's where this has developed. We would have used it because you can combine ice with it. So in an initial yeah. injury, ice and compression, that's what we recommend. Yeah. This was a device that would keep the limb still and pump it. So now they've devised a way to make them more portable with no ice. And it's air pressure that's doing the venous return. So but does it cold as well? I think you can get ones, but the most common ones are, um, it's just air. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, so all it's doing is, it's in effect the same thing as you wearing a pair of compression sleeves yeah. and putting your legs up. It's yeah. just venous return. Okay. So it's just pumping your blood from the lower extremities back up to your hip. Okay. Yeah. It's just a very expensive version. Yeah. <laughs> Make your own. <laughs> Sorry, recovery system. Yeah. But no, I've like, um, I know a few people that use it and sort of swear. And I, and swear I, yeah, I do have patients who say they feel great benefit from it. And I think it's very similar. Getting an ice bath, getting um, a plunge pool, um, all those things are all the same it, it's doing the exact same thing just m- very different ways right it's yeah. just trying to flush your system of the lactic of the hard work you've done and yeah. aid your recovery 
The ice bath's an interesting one. I mean, there's been, once again, lots of differing research on the benefits of, um, of ice baths after, yeah. uh, after running. What's your... Um, I think it's personal, a personal preference. Yeah. I think so. Uh, you're right. There has been research, but it's all insignificant. They yeah. can't conclude either way whether it's better or not. They're yeah. saying it may be beneficial. Um, ice baths, I think there was a, an interesting paper that compared ice baths, compression sleeves, and massage, and they all came out as being helpful, but not one better than the other. Right. so they're all like i said like the 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 smurf legs they're just doing the same thing sorry what's smurf the, the the recovery system legs yes sir, okay. yeah, yeah um uh they're all doing the same thing the the idea with ice baths is that it's constrict vasoconstriction so it's constricting your blood so it's closing down everything um and tightening and so that the blood isn't pumping in then you get out of it and the blood rushes back in then yeah. that rush of blood that helps to recover okay right. um i think it's a personal personal preference we used to do them at uni I didn't really, I think psychologically I thought they were helping me, so I kept yeah. doing them after hard sessions. I don't think now, not having done it, I don't think I necessarily notice a difference, you know? Yeah, who is it, like, I think, is it Tony Robbins, or like the, I, I'm not your guru guy, but yeah, the, um, yeah. he's like plunge pull every day, or like cold shock as being just a way to wake up in the morning. So I think outside of muscle recovery, there is a lot of mental benefits yeah. of just like, waking you up and, and i think that's more the nervous the system right the parasympathetic sure. nervous system is awake and i think that okay say you're in uh, overtraining mode then waking up your parasympathetic nervous system then by an ice bath or a plunge pool is going to help but i think it's about understanding what may be going on in your body if you're already overtraining then maybe also the plunge pool is a great uh, help but maybe then looking at your training plan is probably also just as valuable as jumping in a cold pool to yeah. figure out why are you in parasympathetic nervous like depletion so i think it's about like understanding your training if you're needing all these aids is your training optimal or is it um, pushing you into being like dependent on all these aids yeah yeah, yeah, completely. Have you? Um, wh what's your take on on sauna? Do you uh, do you uh, use sauna? No, I don't use it a lot. But that, it? that's um, that. There is research to support that in terms of your overtraining. If you've got parasympathetic nervous um, system depletion, so if you're lethargic from your training, if you've got a low resting heart rate in the morning and then you peak really quickly and you can't get your heart rate back down, you're probably in this kind of um, where they call parasympathetic. Your nervous system is overridden. You're too stimulated. Things are like you're too overtrained then they reckon actually doing the sauna to stimulate your sympathetic the other nervous system reaction that actually can help yeah. but again it would be looking at your training plan and seeing you know is it that i'm wearing my heart rate monitor in the morning and seeing if my resting heart rate is super low more than usual when i train do i spike up into threshold and i can't get back down am i feeling crap and tired all the time yeah well then actually that's when sauna recovery is better um but there's no actual definitive otherwise as it's more beneficial than other forms of recovery yeah yeah, I mean, once again, there's lots of other residual benefits of uh, of sauna yeah. uh, in terms of like the mitochondria, like improvement, like flushing out the system, yeah, of, like, exactly. bad cells and everything. And that's um, where they get the kind of have you heard about the infrared um, these beds? That's the same thing. It's trying to boost your um, mitochondria. Yeah. Okay. So is threshold running. Yeah, so just yeah, yeah, do yeah. threshold running. I know there's there's many different ways <laughs> yeah. to skin a cat. Exactly, almost, isn't there? And there's um, trends, right? There's yeah. trends in the industry. What's more popular at one point? I've not been doing it of late, but I for a long last year, pretty much 
three nights, four nights a week, would have a sauna at night, yeah, and then go in the cold pool, oh yeah, and then and then go to bed after. And I used to find that I had like amazing sleep after yeah. that. And I don't know whether it was just sort of the I'd normally like train and um, have dinner, then the heat shock of um, and then call, and then you, for some reason you're like when you go in the sauna and then you ha- go into a cool room after, your body cools down a lot yeah. better. And, and so you're probably just adapting to it as well, right? You're adapting your blood vessels to being from hot to cold, which causes the flush. So you're probably then, um, in terms of sleeping, you're better, colder, you know, dropping your heart rate, all this kind of study for sleep. Um, kind of hygiene so you having that surge and then dropping your core temperature is probably getting you ready for sleep so it's probably aiding in you getting into good deep REM sleep as well yeah I mean sleep is probably well it is the most important part of recovery right and it's free it's when the body recovers yeah and it's free and everyone can avail of it yeah yeah Yeah. so so what's your do you actually sort of make recommendations to clients on their yeah yeah I do I try um, but also bearing in mind that it is very lifestyle dependent right and you've got kids and you know people it doesn't putting pressure and added pressure on a person is not going to also help in the recovery if I say how many hours sleep you're getting and they say well you know I can only get five good quality me harping on and saying you need eight but I give them the information and um, I think the kind of there's a lot of research coming out of Ireland by an Irish physio actually Michelle Biggins and she's the Irish Olympic physio she did loads of research in Gaelic footballers and it's the most current and up-to-date research and what it says and it's very interesting for your endurance guys it's saying that um, low sleep or less than six hours sleep for endurance doesn't actually affect your endurance it affects your mood so with that low mood um, that then affects your training and then you have sleep disturbances the other thing that um, she spoke about and found that less than six hours of sleep affects interval training so they're saying you can use it as an ergogenic aid if you know you've got a tough fast session on a Tuesday they're recommending above eight hours use it as like a training mode or um, uh, like kind of ergogenic aid so you can then go right on a Monday night I need to be getting eight hours because on Tuesdays is when I do my speed sessions so you can adapt your or like kind of use your um, sleep as like an an added benefit okay I know I can't get enough on a, a Friday because something happens on a Saturday I get up for an early run so I know okay for for Fridays I'll train differently I know on a Saturday I need to train it a little bit differently because I can't get as much sleep or the vice versa I know on Thursdays I do my hardest session so Wednesday night I need to be getting eight to ten hours sleep so she say she's found a lot of um, uh, of uh, sleep uh, research in that way she's also found that your accuracy is low so if you have to do something challenging or different or difficult like she's looking at ball sports as well so particular darts and tennis they were saying with low sleep your accuracy was really poor the next day and um, she was also saying for like um, pa- kicking and passing your accuracy was poor so imagine you were going to do a trail run on a, a quite a difficult um, trail or dark maybe off the back of four or five hours sleep you're at higher risk of it then of being less accurate with your foot strike or potentially you know injuring yourself and falling so there's there's ways we can use sleep to our benefit as well so it's very interesting her stats the yeah. research is coming out I'll, I'll have a look into it michelle begins you say, yeah right? yeah pro physio i think she's on instagram yeah, yeah that's interesting i mean we've talked a bit about um injury sort of like preparing and activating your body before running to be able to prevent injury a bit about recovery 
what about when you do sustain a um, uh, an injury and what is the sort of initial recommendation and how to sort of treat it and uh, yeah I think it's all different um, because obviously we've got different types of tissues in our body so um, if it's and again you might need to go to a physio to find out what type of injury it is but if you're quite knowledgeable and you've had a past injury if it's a usually a muscle injury we'll treat it slightly different to a like a tendon type injury um so and they come on differently so usually an acute episode tends to be more um a muscle type injury however you might get a tendon type injury similarly with speed sessions so if it's just a normal run you're going to see more soft tissue injuries or rolled ankle okay or like sprains but they're like anomalies right they're just an accident you fell um we tend to then see tendon injuries like uh, with explosive work so if you're on the track and you're doing repeats your tend most likely you could tear a muscle but you might tear an achilles because it's that quick from being static to explosive power um so what we say in terms of those how you manage those are differently um if it's a, a pulled muscle we wait seven ten days before you start stretching or wait well, before you start loading it up give it enough time to recover um and then tendons we we take very differently we get you in because we need to look at it um tendons need a lot of um kind of immobilization and rest initially and then you can start to load them up but they're quite sensitive they don't like a lot of load and they don't like rest so you've got to figure out this sweet spot. So we'd say with a tendon type injury, definitely get into your physio because the like mismanagement of them at the start is what drags them out for much longer than what they need. So you're talking about Achilles tendon, um, kneecap tendon, patella tendon, uh, glute med, hip tendons. They're quite, I see a lot of those in our runners, especially hills when they add in hills or they add in hills and tempo work. Um, they get quite irritable high hamstring tendons are also big ones where our um, female runners and when they're doing a lot of hill work as well so if it's a tendon pain so that would mean if it's like um, if you felt it acutely and it was okay and then it's progressively getting worse and worse and worse the more you're doing if you feel worse after you stretch them they're usually tendon related pains they need i would say to get in and get off unfortunately running um sooner rather than these are not injuries that you push through they're going to get better whereas sometimes muscles do you know you give them a bit of rest and then you can kind of stretch it out it feels better you can roll it out it feels better you can then train and increase your mileage back up and it feels better they're usually muscles and they can do quite well with you know sometimes self-management um you may need to see a physio initially um but you might not need to see in physio long term whereas tendons take more time and it's kind of a give and take relationship with your physio trying to figure out how much of the load the tendon can take before it gets angry and annoyed with you and then you have to drop back a bit okay yeah and you say completely resting it is not good they don't know like tendons load, take, but you, yeah. you still need to keep them like yeah exactly so um, quite often those kind of patients will come in and say i took two weeks off and it feels worse and then we're like okay if it's a muscle and you take two weeks off you usually will feel better um if it's a tendon they don't that's a common thing they'll say oh i stretched it loads and i rested it and i say how's that going they're like yeah it's just way worse and i'm like yeah it's probably a tendon then yeah. yeah that makes sense and um 
when um, you and one other practice that you do quite a bit is, is dry needling as yeah, well. Yeah. So effectively acupuncture, but uh, yeah. is it you can't call it acupuncture because yeah, it's like you protected title. Uh, so you have okay. to have a TCM, a traditional Chinese medicine license, to call it acupuncture. Yeah. Um, but it is an adaptive form as well. So our technique is slightly different. So um, we can then kind of uh, validate why we call it dry needling. Um, uh, they believe in different things, lines of meridians, and um, on these lines of meridians are these points of energy and they release them we're purely thinking science um, we're thinking there's muscles in your muscles you've got trigger points tight knots or noxious so painful points um, they're usually because they're either an old tear or they're because of a piece of the tissue that's um, kind of got congealed or dull or dead or the, the muscle fibres are not mo- moving they slide and glide normally if they're not sliding and gliding like normal they can become stiff and they get noxious so painful so we pop a needle in that that causes a contraction the muscles relax and they start sliding and gliding mm. however they're great and I, I love needles and I do it to a lot of my patients who can tolerate it it's immediate effect and it works very very well however like anything with physio we say it doesn't work on its own so once we got those tissues sliding and gliding it's then you then have to load it so you then have to do an exercise a strengthening exercise to keep the tissue sliding and gliding without that exercise, otherwise it will just go back to it the just same falls back down yeah. Yeah. yeah or even worse then you get more fibers that stick to it and then you get an even like kind of more dulled and more area of dulled weaker muscle yeah it's a really bizarre sensation it's like uh I was like, like biting my fist <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because and, and also you just slightly pull it out and it just puts your whole like wherever it's into like a complete spasm exactly. as well, doesn't it? So but that's what we're doing. That's the technique is slightly different to try any acupuncture. They usually put in a needle and leave it, and yeah. they'll go away or they attach heat or a current to it. Whereas we'll put the needle in and then we'll tap it. We'll try and get as many twitches, and that's what you were saying. You feel the tissues contract, and that gives you a, a contraction, and that's not you doing it. So it's involuntary. So that makes people very tense. And, and you know quite um it's a quite a weird sensation i would say it's the best way to describe it it's not painful um it's just sharp and it's a bit weird because you're not doing it it's almost like you're being electrocuted yeah isn't yeah, it? yeah from the inside yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um but certainly um yeah when you've done it, it it seems to get things moving and feel yeah the, the the sensation after it's a bit of a painful experience but afterward it seems to it seems to yeah seems to i think well. the effect is is quicker than say deep tissue um you get a it's sore definitely for four to eight hours even a day later because it's of all those contractions um but i definitely feel that people's range improve greatly immediately so you'll see the muscle if their hip is tight you'll see their hip fall out much quicker um or much more after immediately after so then i'm always telling my patients look this is your window opportunity you got to do your homework now to keep that range otherwise you'll just slowly load it back up and it'll just go back the way it was yeah you talked a bit before about the repetitiveness of road running. Yeah. And you'd mentioned the sort of like about heel striking, midfoot and, yeah. and forefoot. And um, do you actually, as a, as a physio, ever talk to runners about their gait and about yeah. like, and, and what is your kind of recommendation? And, uh, and like, do you get them on a running machine and actually yeah. watch, watch their, yeah, yeah. how so they're running? So I would, if you're having a runner in your clinic who... He hasn't had an incident or hasn't had a huge change in volume um, and is coming in with pain only when running, you have to look at their gait. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it might not be that they, um, you know, that their gait is terrible, 
but they may have developed maladaptive practice so they may have started to get away from the pain so now yeah. whatever they're doing they might be shifting away from the pain is actually probably aggravating their pain more or loading up somewhere else so i'll always say if i have time in the first session if we've enough time i'll check their gait if not i'll say well you're not going to run until i see you running because i need to see why you've got pain Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'll get patients and runners in do, who just want they've no pain but they feel something's weird or they feel something's heavy or they feel that their right leg doesn't do anything and they'll come in and they'll or they're trying to improve in performance and they'll come in just purely for a 45 minute gait assessment um, and I think that's hugely beneficial um, I don't ever like every person is different um, and I'm a firm believer in I don't believe in the, if there's any foot strike that's optimal Okay, whether it's heel, mid, or um, uh, forefoot running, I think it's your ultimate gait. So if you're not leaning or if you're not softening your knees, they like where your foot lands in relation to your hip is much more valuable to you than where on your foot it lands. So you can be a heel striker, but your heel is underneath your bum, and if it's underneath your butt, then you're fine. But yeah. if it's out in front, then that's where the issue is, and that's what we now know in hindsight. Develop this whole you know trend of oh heel strike's bad heel strike yeah heel strike is bad also forefoot is bad if it's in front of you that's what matters it's all these decelerated forces that you have to generate when the foot is in front to pull your body forward that's what leads to the niggles and the injuries not the actual heel yeah Um, so i would look if someone is coming in and looking for guidance on their where on their foot i often say forget about where on your foot let's look at your running if your foot is in front of you that's going to be the issue and when you say in front of you you like what is the is it and it's really hard to tell when you're running but is it like your foot shouldn't be much forward than your head or is it your chest or, or hip so or like in relation like, to your hip in relation to your yeah. hip yeah so yeah. we call it overstriding right yeah. so when you, we look at you I'll video you and then I sl- it's in slow-mo and we can draw an angle but it's also quite clear from the naked eye if the foot is too far in front of your hip yeah. um, it's usually best seen from a side view so yeah. for the runner themselves um, like I, I wouldn't be telling them to look down because that also changes their gait I usually get them to focus on cadence so yeah. what's your cadence um, if your cadence is low you tend to be an overstrider right so yeah. I'll t- tell them right we're going to work on your cadence you're going to listen to a metronome or you're going to listen to a song uh, there's loads of Spotify playlists that are like 170 to 180 beats you're going to listen and you try and land on the beat every time and that's much more successful and there's loads of research um, evidence based on that that support that high cadence between 170 and 180 reduce knee pain so and the those people who have low cadence usually aren't the overstriding people so they're usually got a low cadence yeah Yeah. no i've i've read a bit about that as well i've also i think on um the book 80 20 running by matt Matt fitzgerald i'm not sure if you read any of his books i mean another one at the uh, at the moment um how bad do you want it just around like the mental side of endurance sports but in the 80 20 they talk about um, he talks about um, like foot strike and it's like the, it's almost just jokingly just like a tiny little paragraph of just saying like, it kind of doesn't matter like yeah. it, we're, we're naturally born to run yeah. excuse the pun from the book yeah. but the, um, the, and that your body will naturally go in the most efficient foot strike for your, for your yeah. body um, but I think that um, cadence is different though right I think yeah. that the, the people don't really know they think like to have a, a longer strike is it's a good better. thing because yeah. you think you'll be, go faster that yeah. way but actually but actually you absorb case. more shock and you have to decelerate the floor more and you actually waste more energy 
So yeah. often I'll say to patients as well, being light, just think about being light. Um, if you're being heavy and trying to hit the floor, then obviously you're going to absorb more shock. Being light, light and bouncy, upright but falling. Yeah. Um, there's another book, the Born to Run book also talks about, you know, and I think this sometimes... Barefoot been, running. Yeah, but they also talk about, imagine you're running after a kid, a kid's about to run out into the road, what would you do? You'll naturally lean and yeah. you'll leg it and you'll be light. Yeah. And he's trying to say, you know, try and go back to normative um, movement patterns. Like w- sometimes we're all, we're trying to overcorrect things, you know. Um, yeah. Being light is really important. And I would always say, Cadence, turnover. Your leg turnover needs to be quick. Yeah, so I mean, some of the best runners that you ever see, you can, you, I mean, you think of like the, the likes of Killian Journey or something, they just look like they're floating yeah. across the trail. They, yeah. they almost don't look like they're actually touching it. They're just so effortless and um so much so you're not even looking at what their foot is doing yeah. whether it's forefoot mid foot you know so yeah there's a guy in hong kong as well a guy called tom robertshaw who's he actually uh, yeah he probably only weighs 50 kilos well, <laughs> but just but his style of running just he just looks like he's floating along and it's um and then you yeah people like myself like six foot two six foot three weigh 80 kilos like boom, 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 <laughs> but um but you can uh, practice and you can change gait um it, there is also research to support that uh, eight to twelve weeks of gait re-ed works and you only have to be doing 12 minutes of running three times a week to actually see change so yeah. it's like learning i often say to patients it's like learning a new end instrument you have to practice it um but practice does make perfect it can also be risky i think though if like you're trying to change like if you're focusing on where you're where you're doing your foot strike it can you can end up like getting an overuse injury in yeah yeah i definitely well. think if you're changing foot strike you're going to yeah. lead to issues i think you the cues with running are very the ones i give and the ones that are research says are, are vague you shouldn't be specifically telling a patient to land on their big toe or land on the baby toe you should be saying be light um don't let me hear you on the treadmill um yeah. okay you want to try and take a shorter stretch uh, um, stride or push the floor away like they're very they're very vague in where you do the movement from you're trying to get the patient or the client to be able to feel it themselves because yeah. if i say bend your knees then people are going to start running with a squat. But that's actually what I'm looking for them to do when I say be light. But I want them to interpret it themselves. And to come naturally. Yeah. You yeah. touched on there, um, like barefoot running and like what kind of, um, I don't know we're focusing on sort of running here, but I can imagine that most of the injuries you see people coming in are like for running. I mean, there's less yeah. so from cycling, right? Yeah. It's just less impact. But um when it comes to footwear, what's your kind of recommendation, so either from trails or road? Yeah, so I'm a big believer in less is more. Um, and before the born to run or before the minimalist kind of um, break there it was, I was always put in Kayanas because my coach, uh, my running coach was of the opinion, um, give a bigger, thicker, heavier shoe and then you only have one for the year and wear out one pair of shoes. Whereas then I transitioned naturally into a lighter shoe and much better for my body. Um, Again, for the whole point, if it's heavy, you're going to hit it, right? Because you can get away with it. So if it's a heavy cushion shoe, you can smash that and you don't feel anything, right? But if you're in a lightweight shoe, actually you can't get away with being heavy. You're going to soon learn to be light because otherwise you're going to feel it in the the footwear. Um, So light, um, and I don't mean necessarily like the minimal, the vibrams or the five five fingers. fingers. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that. Especially if you're a 30 year old who spent 30 years of your life running in another structured shoe, um, then you're going to have issues transiting into a barefoot shoe or a minimal shoe but i think in terms of um at the moment there's a lot of 
uh, brands out there that are bulking up the shoes with loads of cushion and like a couple of brands come to mind with that and I'm a huge uh, I don't I disagree with that I think you put cushion under there um, their foot goes asleep it forgets how to absorb shock it stops giving you feedback because it doesn't have to it's like running on cushions or pillows I don't need to give you feedback because actually the cushion is taking all the load Um, and then I see people with niggles from that and you put them back into a a small like a minimal cushion shoe but it might still have some structure around it and actually they learn to correct their own foot mechanics interesting yeah yeah I'm um I'm like in the Hoka camp now as yeah. well, which is the sort of like, yeah, the, the, like the big, um, bit of, I think for me, it's been like for long distance trails, it, um, that extra cushioning, it just, you just feel like lighter on the less impact on the trail. Yeah. Having said that, like, uh, yeah, I was called you a couple of weeks. I like rolled my ankle because almost they're too high. It's like wearing platform shoes. And if you roll them in there. Yeah. The, the drop is quick. It's the, higher, right? Yeah, it's you know, it's greater. Drop. But I mean, so what is your recommendation in terms of like, and, and were Ahoka one of the ones that you were thinking in yeah. terms of, yeah. However, I, I initially, I had a, a kind of a, a beef with a podiatrist because he kept putting all his um, athletes in Hoka's because it was quick fix. They did stop having foot pain. Yeah. And I kept saying to him, hey, I really would not like, like I would recommend that you don't keep putting my patients in hokas because in actual fact I'm working with them to wake up their foot then they go to you and then you put them in a hoka and then their foot goes sleep again so I was kind of in this um disagreement with them and then actually I had a couple of patients who came in with the hokas on and we I looked at them and some of them are actually not bad in it you know um and actually although there's a lot of cushion they're actually it's quite firm cushion so versus some other brands where i've seen the cushion is quite malleable like it's really spongy um i think they're maybe not as bad as i initially thought um i just think like you said yeah um when you fall or you roll you've got higher to fall so it's gonna unfortunately injure your ligaments a bit more but in someone like yourself who's doing high mileage and is doing a lot of trails where it's uneven and there might be you know branches and you know bits sticking up i think actually some more cushion is valid right for you versus me who might be on the roads more and I'm just hitting the floor because I can then yeah. I think yeah I, I need to be in a bit more or less cushion what what do you use as your road shoe then what um, I like New, like Balance. New Balance but I, I I'm kind of so much so in the camp I wear um, a racing shoe I don't wear a neutral so I burn them out real quick right so I'll probably yeah. get two months out of the shoe but they're really really light um, yeah and I, I just love the feedback from a racing shoe hopefully you're sponsored so you don't have to <laughs> no. buy them every two months <laughs> 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 yeah it's um one thing that that i personally try and do and i I've, i i was listening to a podcast with ben greenfield the other day who's like a biohacker i don't think he likes the yeah. name but, but he talks actually about about grounding yourself and actually walking around barefoot a lot and um and so like when i'm in the gym or anything i'll always be in barefoot yeah. or um or yeah obviously walking around the house but like um but then after runs i've been trying to like just walk around barefoot afterwards or outdoors and stuff and i highly recommend and like even before you put on your shoes be a bit do a bit like those activation stuff we're talking about what about doing those barefoot so that you're stimulating the foot prior to the run so even if you do put them in a cushion shoe at least they have an advantage they've were woken up prior to the run as opposed to just putting them dead into a shoe and then waking up your hips but then your your amazing little feet don't have a chance to wake up um other 
stuff like wobble boards and all those kind of wobble cushions I highly recommend like if you're in a, a, a kind of cushion shoe but then you spend five minutes every day on a wobble board well is that then kind of balancing out the shoe possibly it's keeping everything alive so like they're inexpensive you can get one from decathlon for like 19 bucks and you could spend five minutes on that every single day and and get like very good at it very quickly which is also quite motivating right yeah yeah um i mean so informative like i've uh, yeah picked up picked up so much and um and yeah, in terms of your, because are you still training at the moment? There's no races yeah. coming up. I mean, I don't think Cambodia is going to be going ahead. I, I doubt it a lot. Um, um, so are you still are you still keeping yourself training? Yeah, I'm training. Um, kind of initially when we went into lockdown, I was on a 21k um, training plan because my goal was to do a marathon this year. It was to go to Gold Coast and do the Gold Coast marathon to hopefully get the uh, Boston qualifying time. But sure, that was all thrown out the window. So What's I kept the Boston qualifying time for females. So moment? for my age would be three thirty. So it, it would actually, uh, I think, it'd be quite. Achievable. You could do that here in Singapore. <laughs> but yeah, but I don't think you. It needs to be a qualification race. Ah, so okay. they won't take a training run. They. But uh, I mean, uh, yeah, could but uh, yeah, I suppose we still we don't know whether the straight times chart, one yeah. uh, stand chart sorry would we'll go, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but if it would, if it but they cancelled this year's Boston. So it's on next year. So I think they're letting everyone who got through last year go. So it would probably be 2022 before I could even apply. Yeah, so, that's, right. that's so frustrating. I know. But still, like, I think one thing that's come out of um, the last few months is people sort of doing their own challenges that aren't part yeah. of the race, right? As yeah, well. yeah. Is there anything... Uh, I signed any- up finally for a virtual one because I kind of was not motivated and I'm not big into virtual. I don't really even use Strava very well. So I love my Garmin, but I don't upload to any of these things. So um, I finally decided I'd uh, sign up for... It's actually just a 5K um, a virtual one in September. I don't know if you know Emma Coburn. She's a US olympic athlete yeah, so yeah. she does one every year in um colorado colorado where she's from and i like i would love to go over and do it some year but actually they've made their one virtual this year so i said oh, look it's and happening so how's that going to work you're just going to run a 5k on your I think own so you have a, a the same day you do it in the same time um all around the world but uh, i think you can pick whichever route you like yeah yeah what, what's your 5k PB? um 17.59 but it. yeah uh, yeah yeah. I haven't done that a lot. Well, I did it uh, uh, this earlier this year, so twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I haven't done that since. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, to do that in, in Singapore and uh, hot weather—that's yeah, impressive. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Any um any books or um or resources that you would recommend for people to be able to sort of research a little bit more about both the sort of activation prevention and yeah. recovery and, um, and so Kelly Kelly Starrett has a great book called um, Ready yeah. to Run Kelly Starrett Starrett yeah okay. S-T-A-R-R-E-T-T um, so he's a physio and a strength and conditioning coach very famous in uh, the US he's kind of crossfitty but actually his book Ready to Run is brilliant and it's um, he it was a crossfit athlete who then transitioned into running and he's it's all about um different release techniques on the, like the or ball okay so yeah. um he, that's a brilliant one for kind of release techniques and um a lot of info on running and mechanics of running the other book i cannot recommend enough is called running rewired mm-hmm. and it's by um a physio in america called jay dishari d-i-c-h-a-r-r-y it is brilliant 
it, he's one of the top physios for all Team USA um, and he's a firm believer in you got to understand the mechanics yourself before you can go to anyone and ask anyone to help you so if you understand what running is and how you run and in it is there's amazing activation drills there's in the back of the book there's I think it's maybe 12 strength and conditioning exercises like with a bar his whole point is that if you're running you need to be lifting weights so that running alone is not good enough and he's not saying heavy but he's just saying you know the fundamental compound movements deadlifting squatting split lunging just all these kind of um strengthening exercises to make you more resilient and he includes all the workouts in the back of the book it's brilliant couldn't recommend and it sorry, enough. running rewired rewired really really good book yeah that's a great recommendation any you've mentioned a, a bit kit your new balance trainers going we need some sponsorship <laughs> and your and your uh, your foam orb uh, orb roll orb ball yeah um for rolling Is there any other kit uh, bands get the loop bands um because yeah. those are the ones i use a lot for that kind of activation drill and in that running rewired rewired he uses it a lot as well um, yeah. and so, so like bands to go around the knees yeah do some squats and then yeah. and then for some stretching movements and well. even activation drills and yeah. if you follow emma coburn that um, tri- um uh, steeplechase athlete on instagram she sells her own batch of bands but you can get generic ones but she puts lots and lots of great exercises for eccentric so if we're talking about runners eccentric movements are the ones where not where we're contracting hard it's where we're releasing slowly and that for us is the most beneficial part of the movement that's where we use it we don't contract our hamstring like a lot that's a spring reaction so actually what's more important is how we slow down our leg when we hit the ground yeah so all those eccentric movements are what's really beneficial for us so a lot of the band work that we use physios use in rehab all we're teaching you is to control movement eccentrically and that's probably like that's something dumbbells don't do it's something cable machines don't do it's very very different and that's what's most beneficial out of the band stuff so um eccentric training especially if you're injured but even when you're not like doing some uh, heavy weight stuff is also beneficial but eccentric band work i would say once a week is very very helpful for keeping your um kind of the control part of movement when you land when you hit the floor stability work that's all controlled by the eccentric part of the muscles and that's really really important for your runners yeah yeah that's really interesting um any other are there any other people that have been like an inspiration to you like outside of like like functional books are there any yeah. sort of like like well, from i grew a, up reading paula radcliffe's um uh, autobiography and i think for I don't know I just always really idolized her and I thought kind of um, her her career as an athlete was amazing she slept all the time if you read her book she woke up she ran then she slept then she ate then she ran like so um, maybe she was before her time she slept an awful lot but uh, yeah I would really admire her um, Emma Co- Coburn I follow quite a lot um, because I think their their training model is very very um, kind of moving with the times she does a lot of strength training she's an amazing amazing athlete but she's also kind of very holistic in her approach to training it's not just miles 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 and I think that's something that runners have to kind of we're slowly coming around to the idea that actually running more doesn't make us better Uh, it can sometimes make us hurt hurt or sore so actually kind of incorporating the other parts is quite um, 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 new but better for us yeah Yeah. do do you have a coach yourself or do you no so I'm self-coached yeah yeah 
yeah. yeah. And uh, and what sort of program do you put yourself on if you're sort of like uh, you're, you want to train up to get the uh, to get a Boston time? What so sort? if I'm doing um, well, what I was doing pre-lockdown for the marathon was a 16-week training plan yeah. uh, for full marathon. But usually for my 21s, I'll, 10 weeks. I'm running all the time, so yeah. I'm running five to six times a week anyway. So all I will do when I'm tra- um, uh, going into a training block is just it will become a little bit more focused in terms of pace. I'll be doing twi- twice a week track work and then one threshold run, and the paces are tweaked towards whatever event it is. If I'm doing 21, my pace will drop down to sub four minute kilometers for threshold, or like my target pace will be very specific. Same yeah. if I was doing if I had continued with the 16 week marathon plan i would have been focusing on what my goal was time wise yeah um, and tweaking your your kind of interval sessions for that yeah, yeah. well i'm sorry that um that the uh, gold coast marathon's Aww. not going to be going ahead like boston you'll have to put it out yeah. for another couple of years okay. but i'm like there's more than enough to keep you busy here in exactly. singapore i know that like I, I when i rolled my ankle i like tried to get a booking with you like uh, i can see you in like 10 days yeah. time <laughs> like, like you're probably oh. healed <laughs> but but you very kindly gave me some good advice that was able to yeah get me some oh, um, yeah got, got me healed in time but um but yeah i recommend for if anyone wants to sort of like get in touch or to be able to like follow you what's yeah. the um, what's um the so way? i'm on instagram at mac moira so mcc m-a-i-r-e um, and then I'm at UFIT Clinic. So if you Google ufit.com, uh, we're on that. And my email is moira at ufit.com.sg. M A I R E at ufit.com.sg. Awesome. Look, it was great. Cool. So great to have you on. There's oh, some like, thank absolute you for gold me. in there. There's some, some nuggets. Good. So yeah, really appreciate it. And um, and yeah, look forward to see you uh, like smashing your, um, your, your Boston time at oh, some point too. Class. And happy running to you too. I hope the ankle holds up. Uh, awesome. Thanks so much, Maura. No Cheers, my You're dear. You're welcome. Thank you. It's like the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad. Hey, Mr. Rick Stockfish. How's it going, sir? All good, Scott. I'm all right. How are you doing, I'm recovering from, um, from a bout of sickness. Um, a bit, bit of man flu for the, for the past week. Been, been bed-bound. Haven't, haven't run in, a, in over a week now. But, um, but yeah, surviving. Surviving. What about yourself? Yeah, I saw you. Well, I saw you got out for a, a, an every single street runner. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, went out with uh, uh, Philippe, Philippe Daniel, like one of the top, um, top ultra runners that's based here in Singapore. He, uh, he's like T8 sponsored runner. He, he messaged me that he was going to run every, um, every path in the botanical gardens, which um, it's, uh, it's five kilometer circumference to run round it. And, but it's just so many little paths. Um, did you see like the, the total distance we managed to cover of all, all the paths in, uh, in the botanical gardens? Yeah, it was close, it was close to four marathons. It, it was 36K, including the sort of 5K loop around it. Um, I mean, we, we definitely weren't doing it that fast because there was lots of back and forth. But it was an interesting concept. I mean, it's been, um, it's been quite a popular concept of like, running every, um, every path. of. Um, you had the guy that did it in San Francisco, right? Um, uh, was it Ricky? Ricky Gates, yeah, that's Ricky, it. Yeah, Ricky yeah. Gates. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of one of those... Um, in in lockdown it kind of makes sense if you can only run close to your neighborhood then why don't you just run every street in your local neighborhood um but yeah it's quite cool 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's exactly just a new way of appreciating what's on your doorstep. I mean, I, I sent you that link the other day. We, there, there's a trail 300 meters from my front door that I had absolutely no idea existed. Um, you know, not particularly long, not particularly spectacular, but just not something I'd have found if we yeah, hadn't been, Yeah, uh, I went and explored that as well. It's, um, yeah, it's very cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that he's, he said he's going to plan to do um, Mount Faber. I think you could actually do some pretty cool routes. I was thinking like around McRitchie, um, there's loads of little offshoots around McRitchie. You could, um, uh, it's just good to sort of, a good, good, good way of exploring. Yeah. Sentosa probably looked really neat. Sentosa yeah, looks pretty neat. Yeah, that's a good idea that. as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I listened to a, um, uh, the, a podcast with that Ricky, guy, Ricky Gates, and it just, um, yeah, it's unbelievable. I don't know actually what the, I think the total, total distance was over like 1,300 miles he covered. Um, yeah, just absolutely. But it, it's almost like you've got to be really strategic how you do it. You can, uh, somewhere like San Francisco, you could build an algorithm to show exactly the way to do it with the minimal amounts of, um, of going back on yourself. It was a bit tougher in, uh, in doing it in, um, in botanical gardens. We were just like looking on Strava basically and just making sure that we covered all of the trails on there. But because it's so sort of like, uh, sort of wriggly around those uh, around different parts of the gardens. It's difficult to plan it out beforehand. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's a good concept. Um, yeah, what do you think of the, the chat with uh, with Moira? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I've been become sort of obsessed with physios the last year. We've not really been able to run. Uh, not you know, not not specifically with Moira, but uh, yeah, it was a great chat. Um, and and you know, both you and I have been down to UFIT and had physio there. And we know what a great job they do. But yeah, just really interesting hearing her story and. Uh, yeah, what a great athlete she is herself. Oh yeah, phenomenal athlete, and uh, and just a, a great. Um, I think going to see a physio that is, and same the the physio that you see at UFIC, that they're actually endurance athletes themselves, so they really sort of understand um, and are able to to diagnose a bit better. I think, um, and yeah, she's a she's a really good physio, but just as you say, a phenomenal athlete. Um, it's. Um, yeah, she's, uh, I mean, her, her brother was, uh, I think, I didn't actually, uh, he didn't cycle for the Olympics, but he's, he cycled in the Tour de France and, um, and like he's one of the strongest mountain bikers in, uh, in Ireland. So they, she comes from a sort of endurance family, but, um, but yeah, truly an impressive runner. And I think probably outside, because I, I ran the, um, I mentioned the podcast when the first time I sort of ran um, in a race uh, against her was in the, um, uh, the, the King of the Trails series, and uh, and I think she like Vanya beat her in that in that one, and I think I would say after Vanya, she's probably the next best uh, uh, best female runner in Singapore. Um, just uh, the space in Singapore, yeah, she's phenomenal. Yeah, that um, I think that King of the Trails was one where you you ran with my bib, bib on and, and didn't get as a podium, but there you go. No, I didn't. I think I got. I think I got top ten male, but um, but yeah, both, yeah, but uh, both Vanya and uh, um and Moira absolutely smashed me. They're like just uh, yeah, just uh, amazing runners. But yeah, a few a few key takeaways that I've like had from it were just like activation beforehand. You know, prevention is better than a cure, and uh, I think so many of us just go out to run and just step out the door and go running straight away, but just activating the muscles beforehand, just um, taking five minutes makes complete sense. And I've been try- trying to do that. Yeah, and it was, it was good timing, really, because there's been a lot of um, fantastic kind of female 
trail running and other running over the last few weeks with um, with the Asia Trail Girls platform. Um, and yeah, just just seeing what some of these these ladies do is just absolutely astounding. Yeah, the Asia Trail Master, uh, the Asia Trail Trail Girls, um, that the vertical challenge, the sort of ten days, teams of four, mixed teams, and just some unbelievable performances. I mean, the <clears throat> out of the the top ten men and top ten overall top ten, six of them were female. Um, which is just ex- astonishing. Just uh, the amount of effort that that, that was put into that um, uh, to that race, and you had Nikki Han who knocked knocked off an Everesting as part of it, um, and she was in a team with Solomon. He did almost thirty six thousand meters in elevation over ten days, which is just crazy. Um, it was a really good example of like a virtual um, virtual challenge, virtual race that I think got some really good coverage. It's very cool. Yeah, I think these virtual challenges are here to stay. You know, like whether or not or when when real races come back, I think these are you know are great ways to train and, and keep people motivated and exploring their backyard. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, we're actually going to get Veronica on uh, on the podcast soon. And um, and yeah, we've also had um, uh, with the head of Asia Trail Masters as well. We've uh, recorded with him recently that we'll we'll be publishing soon. But he was talking about some of the virtual races that they've um, they've been putting together as well. Um, and as you say, I think it's going to be, uh, certainly looks like there is a, there's going to be a, a few more. And in fact, one that is coming up is, um, it's kind of mixture between vir- virtual and actual, um, is the, the Bigs backyard. Um, they've, uh, they're actually going to be, uh, going ahead mid October and with the world champs will be done effectively remotely in each country, but there's going to be races done in each country that will sort of, um, that will all feed into the um, to the global world championships, all starting at the same time on the seventeenth of October. Yeah, and there's a pretty—I mean, worldwide there's an amazing lineup, but there's a pretty solid lineup here in Singapore. So, looking forward to seeing how that all shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, we've got a few um, ex podcast um uh, uh interviewees going on there so we've got hung Wei is uh he actually reached out to me i'm i'm not going to be in the country i'm actually like getting on a flight for the first time in a while but he's um about about supporting his effort um but we we said um we're going to be sort of covering the um the the event a bit we've got abby's going to be in there um we, there's um there's a guy called ned phillips who's uh He's uh, a PR in Singapore, been here for sort of 15, 20 years and is an amazing endurance athlete himself. Um, we've, uh, um, yeah, did you see some of the other ones? Uh, we've got Alvin, Alvin's um, in there as well that used to be, used to work at Red Dot Running and uh, um, yeah, he's an he's a, a unbelievable runner. Yeah, and then there's Alex Zang, who's again, sort of one of the original, original ultra runners here and he just did a crazy... Uh, it's a Majula Singapore run for the 55th anniversary of Singapore where he did, I mean, average close to 55K a day for 55 days, which is just astounding. Um, That's so we have a chat with him. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really powerful lineup. And then you've got, you've got Natalie Dow, who we're going to get on the podcast very soon, who's a fantastic ultra runner. Um, so she just sent me a message saying she's no idea what she's gotten herself into, but I suspect that's probably the case for, for most of the people taking part. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? There's a there's a, there's fifteen in, it's limited to fifteen in the field, um, and there's some really really top runners. Like I think, 
I, I mean, you've got the heat in Singapore, but uh, I don't know. We've got to have a wager, Mister, on uh, what we're going to, um, on wh- who's going to, who's going to finish, how far it's going to go. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we. I mean, we know that Abby can go three days running without a problem. Um, so yeah, we'll have to, uh, yeah, see how that plays out. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely intrigued. Um, the other interesting thing about it, so it's just, um, it, it's just, uh, Singaporean citizens and PRs. Cause I think they want to get, uh, nationals from each country where they race to actually then, um, then, uh, be eligible to go for the, like the world champs for next year. Uh, I did reach out to Stephen Carr actually to ask him if they're going to be running it in, in Hong Kong, but it's pretty strict there at the moment. So he's, he doesn't, he didn't hold out much hope of getting permits. Um, so yeah, it's, um, that, that, not going to be um, running one in Hong Kong. I haven't actually checked to see whether Tomo's running one in Japan, and I should check and see if there's any other ones happening around the region. I'm sure there'll be a an Aussie one in in uh, one state or another. Yeah, maybe see what um, Stephen Redfern's up to. Um, but yeah, I'm sure there'll be some some fantastic performances on the day. Yeah, I saw days. I saw Stephen Redfern actually just ran a ran an ultra last weekend, a hundred kilometer. Is it Chinmay? Um, but yeah, he, he came fifth in it. He's uh, still going strong. He's um, relentless, that dude. Um, but very good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, looking forward to covering that. Uh, getting a, a few of the um, uh, a few of the attendees on the on the podcast beforehand to talk about how they're training for it, what their what their expectation is, and then we should definitely do one after with a um, a couple of the finalists to to see how it goes. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, let's put that in. Nice one. All right, Mr. Rick Stockfish, I will um, speak to you again very soon. Good stuff, Scott. See you soon, mate. Cheers. Tell the truthful story if they ever ask. Stop the complaining because things ain't that bad.